This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are indeed among friends. Before we get rolling... Birthday wishes to my mother. Happy birthday, Mom. She turns 96 tomorrow, and she's laying in bed listening right now and rolling her eyes. Oh, don't mention my birthday. Well, too late. Uh, The whole family got together for a barbecue in her backyard on Saturday, and uh, a couple of her grandchildren joined in via Zoom, one in Victoria, B.C., the other in South Africa. So, uh, again, birthday wishes. We all love you, Mom. I love you. And I'll see you soon. And I'll be bringing the boys uh, to see you again uh, for a little bass fishing. All right. Uh, Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. And, yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel tonight, Strange Planet. The, uh, the chat room has filled up. Uh, Mike Logue is there, Pyramid 7, Thinker, Show Me the Truth 74, Mad Pogue, YY, a new, a new uh, uh, entrant. Uh, Matthew Sainsbury is joining us, D. Silver. Uh, who else? Well, they're all there, and uh, we'll say hello to some more a little bit later. And just a, uh, a reminder to those of you in the YouTube live chat, get your questions ready. We're taking a lot of questions and comments via the YouTube chat. Less on the phone uh, these days and more from the YouTube. All right. Um, so, YouTube, yeah, we're live streaming on YouTube. Now, I want to mention that occasionally I'm a very bad boy and one of my episodes will be taken down from YouTube because uh, either I cut a little too close to the bone or my guest uh, drops a truth bomb and I get placed in YouTube prison. And when that happens... And it happened a couple of weeks ago when Joseph Farrell was on the show. Uh, YouTube took it down. And so we posted it, or Ryan did, that is, my live stream producer, posted it to my channel on rumble.com. And I suspect eventually we'll be moving everything over to Rumble uh, as soon as we figure out how to do the live stream over there. So you might want to subscribe in anticipation of that to my Rumble channel as well. Go to rumble.com. And then, this is important, 
you have to uh, search under channels, not videos. Search under channels, and it's Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right. There's a brand new organization of scientists, academics, researchers from 27 countries and five continents who are unanimous in their recognition that we are not alone in the cosmos. Based on more than 75 years of research, ICER, the International Coalition of Extraterrestrial Research, acknowledges that the UFO UAP phenomenon is real. It acts with intelligence and is likely to be extraterrestrial, non-human in origin. ICER believes all countries now need to prepare for confirmation that the Earth is being engaged by non-human intelligences and purposes awareness programs be established to deal with the profound issue of contact and its global implications. The organization's launch comes in the wake of recent verified events. One, a New York Times article from the 16th of December, 2017, which revealed a hitherto secret UFO UAP research program in the phenomenon into the phenomenon between 2007-2012 with a $22 million budget. And uh, the article confirmed that U.S. Navy fighter pilots had captured astonishing footage of unidentified aerial vehicles operating in the airspace of the United States in a series of infrared videos taken in 2004 and 2015. Significantly, the objects observed were unlike anything the pilots had seen before and moved into spectacular and moved in spectacular ways that appeared to be technologically far beyond anything man has yet developed. In June 2020, a U.S. Navy task force was created to investigate these objects, which pilots are encountering with increasing frequency. The task force is due to submit a highly anticipated report to the U.S. Congress by June 25th. 2021. ICER aims to take this discussion to the highest levels of governance, including the United Nations. Tonight, two members of the International Coalition of Extraterrestrial Research, Gary Heseltine, the vice president of ICER, he's standing by in England. In hour two, Roswell investigator, UFO uh, researcher, author Don Schmidt is the North American representative, again, for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Former police detective Gary Hesseltine is the vice president, as I say. Using skills finely honed as a home office trained police officer, Gary has examined cases with the best evidence. Those that have high caliber witnesses with special knowledge, often corroborated by technology. He concludes on circumstantial evidence that some identified unidentified objects are real and act as if intelligently controlled and that whatever is behind them is likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human. He spoke on behalf of police officers worldwide who had experienced sightings at the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. back in 2013. He spent six years in the Royal Air Force Police before serving in the British Transport Police between 1989 and 2013. As an advanced police interviewer of suspects and witnesses, he worked on a complex case or worked on complex cases such as murder, manslaughter and rape. He was a specialist interviewer of first responder BTP officers at the inquiry into the 2005 London terrorist bombing. Gary undertook a four-year reinvestigation of Britain's most famous UFO event at Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, close to the twin bases of RAF Woodbridge 
and RAF Bentwaters used at the time by the U.S. Air Force. He was writing a book on it that will, um, or he did write a book on it that will feature new military witness testimonies that should significantly change uh, the existing narrative. And he was also uh, the lead researcher on a feature-length documentary on the case um, called Capel Green, after the uh, field where some of the events occurred. Gary Hesseltine, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. So this is exciting. May 25th, uh, this launched. Uh, do we call it ICER? Is that the... Pr- the pr- yes, the, uh, yeah, that's perfect pronunciation, ICER. All right. It's easy to remember. Right. And uh, your vice president, how did this all come together? Uh, strangely, uh, I became involved um, after... Uh, Don, uh, Don, who obviously will speak uh, later about this, uh, he and Roberto Pinotti, who is the president of ISA, he's a, a very uh, well-known Italian researcher with 50 years of experience, uh, former military officer. Uh, he and uh, Don were invited to go to China, believe it or not, uh, on the guise of a supposed Chinese UFO group's uh, disclosure initiative and the idea was originally to get 30 countries together with a view to trying to get to the UN at some point now uh, Don and uh, Roberto went to China I think it was uh, February of 2018 and from that they were encouraged to start seeking out well-known researchers, et cetera, et cetera, and and scientists and academics. And basically what happened was that um, a uh, conference was set up in Moscow for October of 2018. And it was during that process of trying to recruit people, as it were, and it was kind of all done on a a peer review, people that you knew and trusted, et cetera, that I got invited by Don to go to Moscow. And that was particularly exciting for me because uh, for someone who'd been in the military, who'd you know, lived through the Cold War, as it were, uh, Moscow was very much a place which you couldn't get to for many, many years. So I obviously knew it, its uh, historical significance, but it's also a beautiful city. And I'd seen Red Square and beautiful buildings around it, churches. So I jumped at the chance to go. It wasn't easy to get there because you had to jump through a lot of hoops, uh, uh, getting visas, etc. But nevertheless, got there. And uh, eight of us turned up there to meet with uh, the Chinese delegation. And uh, we, over the course of three days, we... Um, sat around the table and had discussions Uh, and the core principles of this new organization that was going to be funded by the Chinese UFO group I might add we never were told where the money was coming from although many people will say that nothing happens in China without the leadership knowing but we never is that a concern is that a concern Gary that the communist Chinese might be involved well, if I, if I tell the story, it was a failed Chinese initiative. Uh, it wasn't at the time because we were told that it was money from a Chinese UFO group. Uh, they didn't explain where the money came from. And obviously a lot of people who were attending, i.e. the eight of us meeting with the Chinese, were just eager to find out what was what. So we met in Moscow over three days, had talks, and basically 
agreed that we would go back to our respective countries and try to recruit more people uh, to the broad principle of trying to get 30 countries. And so that's what we did. Uh, but one of the things that we agreed uh, whilst we were in Moscow was that it would be one country, one vote, regardless of the size of the country. So you can't really get any more democratic than that. That would not lead to, like, big countries overpowering smaller countries. Uh, so that was an important principle. We agreed uh, that everybody who joined ISA, it wasn't called ISA then, we didn't have a name, uh, the uh, whoever joined us would have to sign an oath that basically... Uh, said that we, after looking at the research over 70 plus years, that uh, we thought it, uh, the phenomenon was real, acted with intelligence, and was likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human. So that's the, still the case. Anybody that joins ISA has to sign that, which in a sense was my suggestion because uh, there's always been loads of infighting within the UFO communities, and that's probably why we've never had any kind of real say-so in a political sense, uh, not in the sense of a party, but having any real power. Uh, I don't think we've been very good at organising because we've been too busy infighting over the years. So the the idea of the oath was to say, look, we're all going to sign this as you don't become one of us. Uh, and therefore, you, in essence, what you're trying to do is create a like-minded body, which is what we've got. And I can honestly say that since we began the process of, uh, of, of preparing to go public, which was in June of 2020, uh, we've never had any wrong words in any of the live Zoom meetings, even though you've got South Americans, you've got Asians, you've got Europeans, you've got all manner of people with different cultural backgrounds, but we've never had a wrong word yet. So I think the uh, the idea of the, the oath works and it pulls us together and binds us together in a way that you don't usually see UFO organizations do so. Uh, and I think what makes us a lot uh, different from anyone else is the fact that we are truly international. There are there are many groups with international members, but I doubt very much that there's any that are in regular contact on a week-to-week -week basis like we are with three or four meetings a week, especially in the, the run-up to the launch. So we have got to know each other. And uh, just going back, I'll, I'll finish the story of, of the Chinese involvement. Uh, we... Uh, from that meeting in Moscow, we said, look, if you're serious, we'll do this, but you need to show us that you're serious. So we would like you to organize a conference for whoever many people we get uh, for February 2019, February, March, something like that. And they said, yeah, fair enough. Um, so we left Moscow on, you know, cautiously optimistic that this was a new uh, idea and, and we were going to explore it. Uh, however, by February, nothing had come, uh, nothing had been arranged. Uh, we were told that there were some problems, uh, there'd been some kind of mining disaster in the town or the city where they planned to have the meeting. Uh, we then said, okay, well, when are you going to have this uh, conference uh, inviting us all back or all there? And they didn't come back to us, and we waited months and months. And collectively, we began to doubt that this was ever going to happen. Uh, but by that time, we'd probably 
got probably 19 or 20 countries' uh, representatives, national representatives, uh, more or less agreed in principle. Um, so we kind of we were a bit frustrated. We kept leaving messages, nothing happened. Uh, there'd be the odd sporadic message saying, yeah, yeah, something will happen, but it didn't. So we basically said that if it gets to the anniversary of that Moscow conference, i.e. October 2019, uh, if we hadn't heard anything by then, we'd assume that, that that Chinese initiative was dead. And that actually came to pass, nothing happened. So then we we kind of sat and did nothing for a while, uh, and then it got into 2020, we got into a pandemic, and people are in lockdown, and I'm thinking everybody's using Zoom, uh, so that's speeded up the process. Everybody's talking to each other on camera, as it were. So I suddenly thought, this would be foolish to let this goodwill go. So I organized a pro-Zoom account and then started contacting people from uh, the Moscow conference and the ones that had provisionally agreed to the principle. And uh, we began our first meetings in June of 2020. And as I said, from then it just increased. We set up working party groups to look at, one was called communications, another one was called uh, working on the, the ethics, the mission statement, etc. And uh, we looked at various things over many months and the working groups kept reporting back. And we'd have various different types of meetings uh, three, four times a week. Uh, and that culminated on, uh, into our launch on the 25th of, June, uh, 25th of May, uh, just almost three weeks ago. And here we are, so very, been very, very busy since. So uh, we, we began with a worldwide uh, uh, newswire release that went, I think, to something like 150,000 news agencies around the world. And what we also did in each of our 27 countries, because it was 27 countries at the launch, uh, was we were having a mail blitz in each of those countries as well. So we'd written to all sectors of society, right from heads of government to heads of uh, defence, uh, aviation, uh, university, educational, uh, all sectors of society trying to say, look, this uh, situation that's now developing in America, i.e. the US task force, Navy task force, things are happening at an unprecedented uh, frequency level that, that I've never seen in my time, and, I, and I've talked it over with Don, and he agrees the amount of serious, important people who've gone on the record uh, making very positive statements that it's time to be more transparent. Uh, that basically we were in a situation where we were uh, well on the way to creating something. So 27 countries, five continents, it's never been done on a global uh, aspect. We wanted to draw attention to the fact that we should be preparing now for a new reality. Um, regardless of the politics of a pandemic, uh, a lot of people have suffered psychologically because they were kept in lockdown for months on end. And there was a, a really a, a, a lack of forethought. Nobody thought a real pandemic would happen. And so countries were way underprepared. And there are similarities with what ISA is proposing now. Because what ISA is proposing is that 
instead of waiting for that reality to hit home and suddenly 95% of the world who've been led to believe for 70 years that we're all crackpots is suddenly going to get told, well, actually, there is something to this and it is likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human because we can't explain it. Uh, that would be like hitting a brick wall for a lot of people. Uh, so how do you kind of stop that happening? Well, you begin now by saying, what if? What if it is real? Uh, and whether it's uh, on the 25th of June, whether it's an interim report, whether it's a bit of a whitewash where we're saying, oh, yeah, there's 120 incidents. Most of them we can't explain, uh, but we can't prove that it's extraterrestrial, which is kind of like a cop-out because they're saying we can't prove it isn't, but we can't prove it is either. So it's, it's, that, uh, it's a $64,000 question. But America has now ruled itself out. So instead of a three-horse race, we're into a two-horse race. Now, if you'd have said in, on, in terms of the UFO community uh, a year ago, you, would you be happy to be in a 50-50 race with foreign adversary or ET non-human, then I think everybody would have snapped their hands off because that's what we're at now. And this is why it's not a negative, even though it was uh, this so-called leak of the report said, oh, we can't prove it's extraterrestrial. We know that that's a, a play on words. But it's very easily argued that it's not for an adversary if you know the history of the subject. Well, from ISIS's point of view, we've got academics who study this subject, an astronomer who's soon to be in a book with Avi Loeb, so obviously a well-known astronomer. We've got many of the world's leading researchers from around the world, people like Don Schmidt, the leading Roswell researcher. We've got people like Victor Vigiani of Zedland from Canada. We've got Susan Hansen from New Zealand, Cheryl Gottschall from Australia. These are people with decades of experience. Uh, and, and so I think we worked it out that collectively, history-wise of, of investigation and research, we've got something like two to 300 years of experience collectively. Now, unfortunately, the rest of the world... Other than, unless you're in the UFO community, and 95% of people, I hazard a guess, don't have a clue about any of the evidential history. That's, that's I, true. Uh, Gary, pardon the interruption. I've got to uh, take a time out here. We'll come back and discuss further. Gary Heseltine is vice president of ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Don Schmidt will be joining us in the second hour. He's ICER's North American representative. Keep it right here. Stay tuned. More to come. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, we are back. Gary Heseltine, Vice President of ICER, nonprofit organization comprised of scientists, academics, leading UFO, UAP researchers from 27 countries on five continents. And um, uh, I've been reading in the press material, Gary, that, that you want to get to 50 countries. Is that a, an important number? I mean, obviously, it would be impressive to have 50 countries, but is there a specific Meaning to that, do you have to have 50 countries, for example, to be able to speak before UNESCO, the United Nations? 
Uh, no, I think there was a, I think, I don't know where the 50 has come from, to be honest. Uh, the, I think that the number that would be needed would be 30 to be truly recognized as a world organization. I think that's why the Chinese chose 30, ah. was to be recognized as a world organization. Now, let me just explain. Uh, obviously, ISA uh, wants to take this to the highest levels of governance, uh, including the UN. But let me state that the UN is a different. You can't just, as a uh, an international NGO, just approach the UN and say, "I want to have a conference. Uh, I want to have a question raised on the UN floor." It doesn't work like that. The UN, the only people that can ask questions on the UN floor are actually other nations. However, what you can do as an international NGO is you can accrue a body of work over time. Uh, that's then recognized that you will have special consultative status to the UN. But what you still need is a nation state to say, right, yes, I like the work of ISA. They've done good work over the years, and I will now kind of adopt ISA and ask a question on their behalf. So it has to be another nation state to ask questions. Uh, however, the key thing for us is getting to that consultative status. However, with uh, the likes of the recent reports where the Chinese are actually coincidentally saying that uh, Chinese leader is saying that he might want to brief the UN about uh, UFOs or UAP in, in China, uh, then that would be very interesting because suddenly you've got another, you've got a nation state introducing this. So they can ask. And they can have, a, they can say, right, we want to debate on the on the floor, and that would be really interesting. But the real shock is going to be that 95% of the world is not prepared for this. And yes, people will say, well, no, no, people say, well, it's 50% in a Gallup poll and whatever. But that doesn't mean anything. That's just a quick, ask me a quick question. Do you believe there's UFOs? Yeah, there might be 20, 30% or whatever. That doesn't mean anything. But the, none of them have knowledge. So the only people with knowledge are, in a sense, leading researchers, people who've studied this privately for a long time. And But there's so much rubbish out there and so much division within the UFO community. Who do you go to? So what ISA is coming together is to say, look, we need to create awareness programs. How do you bring that reality crash a scenario down? And also, uh, obviously, if things are flying around in the USA space with impunity, as Luis Elizondo is saying, as Chris Merlin is saying, then technically there is a, a vulnerability there to the US nation, and there is that threat element. But ISA is specifically coming onto the world stage to say, well, hang on a minute. This is a global phenomenon. A lot of people in America think it's just America that has these sightings. It's not. It's a worldwide phenomenon. And two, yes, technically there is a threat there. However, if you know your history of the subject, which 95% of people don't, then over the last 70 years, people like ISIS, uh, very uh, extensive knowledge of research accrued over many decades, will say, look, over the last 70 years, there is no overt threat to the world because these things have been around for a long time. Uh, and, and in fact, what we did for the press was uh, create a 
60-case summary document, a PDF, just for the press to say, look, here you go, 60 cases, one, it's not a big, thick document, it's one case summary per page with a few little references and an aspects of intelligent behaviour, just to give them a flavour. Now, the first case in that goes back to 1942, and it's not a Foo Fighter, which most people associate with the, uh, with the Second World War. Sometimes, other than balls of light were seen. And one case that's in the, uh, the National Archives at Kew in London uh, details a case from 1942. Uh, and if you want, I'll tell you this case, because I, I pretty much guarantee that 99% of the your listeners will have never heard of this classic case. I don't uh, think I, it, I've heard it, it, it either, Gary, so please, yes, all right, do tell. Okay, all right. In the National Archives, there is a, a document that was in a formerly secret, and it was so sensitive at the time, it was recorded in 1942, that a very senior uh, officer wrote on the cover, this is an incredible report, uh, basically, uh, the, all the aircrew are standing steadfast to their story as to the details inside. And the details of what they saw, it was a Lancaster bomber crew, a four-engined propeller uh, bomber of the Second World War, one of the larger bombers of the Second World War, was on a raid over Turin in Italy. And basically, the captain was Captain Lever with a crew of eight, including himself. And when they were 15 miles uh, south of Turin, they saw a huge cylindrical object that they estimated to be, to be between 200 to 300 feet in length and about 40 feet in diameter. And it also had uh, uh, sections that were darker, like uh, a light area, dark area, light area, dark area. So this looked metallic. Uh, it was flying at approximately 400 to 500 miles an hour. So this completely rules out any kind of an airship kind of scenario. No noise, no air disturbance, and all eight crew, air crew saw it. And amazingly, on the way back from the raid from Turin, they saw it again going through a mountain pass in a slightly different direction, but they saw it again. And when they landed, they got debriefed, and they said, we saw this strange thing, and they were told, keep quiet. Uh, it was so bizarre. It obviously went up very high in the chain of command, and that's why this senior officer put this docket onto it, saying, look, this is an absolutely bizarre thing, but we don't want to tell anybody about it uh, because we might, it might frighten the other air crews and, you know, might them be fearful of going on raids. So this is a document that's in existence. You can actually go to the National Archives proving that there was a cylindrical object. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is, that was in 1942, multiple corroborated by, on two occasions by the crew of eight. All right? So 400 to 500 miles an hour, two to 300 feet in length. Have we then got an object that we could put in a terrestrial bracket. The closest thing that you'd get to it is an airship, but the airship can't, could not travel at uh, 400, 500 miles an hour. And when we now jump all these years later to 2021, have we got anything 
that can fly at 400, 500 miles an hour? Yes. But have we got anything that flies at 200 to 300 feet in length and is cylindrical that has no wings, no tail and no control surfaces propulsion system? And the answer is no. So what you saw in 1942 has never been explained, can't be explained by secret stealth because the stealth argument is only good for 20 years. If you think of the F-117, the little batwing plane that emerged uh, in 1991 with the first Gulf War, that first flew in 1975, 16-year gap before going public. So, okay, let's use the stealth argument. Whatever that object was that was seen in 1942 should have been out by 62. And obviously things that were seen in 62 should have been out in 82. So the stealth argument doesn't work. But neither does the foreign adversary if the press are going to go down the line. And what you've got at the moment is is the press uh, almost childlike because they're, they're asking questions about a subject that they, until very recently, they thought was just loony tunes. So they're asking very bad questions in the main, not all of them, but a lot of them are having great difficulty asking questions about this. And you can see it on the faces. And they want to make a joke. And some of them, I remember seeing Chris Cuomo on CNN, and he's saying, I can't believe I'm asking this. And he was reading off his screen, so he had to read it out, because he had two guests to interview. But you can see that the press are having a real difficulty. Right, with with few exceptions. Adjusting. Yeah, right. with perception. I think Forrest Tucker has done it. Um, uh, uh, Forrest Tucker. I keep saying Forrest Tucker. Tucker Carlson. The actor. Forrest Tucker. I remember <laughs> yeah, the actor. Giving our age away. From F Troop. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know why I have this block. I keep saying Forrest Tucker. No, Tucker he, Carlson. I know you mean. Yeah, yeah. Tucker yeah. Carlson has done it pretty Tucker good. Tucker Carlson Listen, is doing an excellent job. Gary, and, we'll take uh, a time out here. And then I've got uh, a bunch of questions in the YouTube live chat. We've got, I think, some people on the phone. I've got additional questions. And uh, we'll um, we'll also keep this going into the second hour when Don Schmidt, the North American representative of ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, uh, will be here. Gary Hesseltine stays with us. Vice President, back with more in a moment. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, back with Gary Heseltine, Vice President of ICER. Now, let me ask one of those, it may be one of those dumb questions from the mainstream media. I don't consider myself mainstream media. However, and you mentioned earlier, this is now down to a two-horse race. It's either aliens or it's a foreign adversary, but given the, uh, you know, you, you talked about stealth programs and how they're kind of like, there's this 20 year gap, but what if these stealth programs are in fact, Gary, uh, window dressing, you know, people talk about the secret space program. We, we hear from whistleblowers, people like Gary McKinnon, you know, the idea that there are deep space platforms and, and so yeah. forth. It, so it may not be 20 years. It may be, hundred years or, or even longer. What about the idea of a, a breakaway civilization? And that, so the United States could say, well, it's not us, which is technically true because that the people that are, that have this technology and this ability, they, they have no allegiance to a flag or a country. Uh, the way I look at that is, um, it's possible, but 
as a former detective, I would say that there's not enough evidence to convince me that there is a breakaway civilization. Or uh, I, I certainly think it's possible that um, when you know how governments work and how special access programs work, all of those things are true. So, for example, if, if Roswell was true, which I believe it was, and they recovered a craft then, then you would try to reverse engineer it. Of course you would, because you'd want that leap in technology. And whoever possessed that technology uh, would say, well, that makes us the strongest nation on Earth. And I, I tend to think that's, that may well have happened. But can we prove it con you know, conclusively? No, we can't, because we still can't produce the alien body. We can't produce the spacecraft. But so that's the way I look at it. I can only look at um, this subject through evidential eyes because I've got 30 years of collective police experience. And so on the balance of everything that I've seen, I'm not convinced that there is enough evidence to say that there is a breakaway civilization. That's my take on it. Right. OK, so you mentioned the 95 percent of of us that um, so in many in many re respects it's about, it's like starting at square one. So in terms of your mission statement, how are you going to reach that ninety five percent to prepare them for what you say is coming? Are we talking about getting this information into universities, perhaps a university course? We are currently preparing awareness courses for all sectors of society, including the media, because the media uh, don't know anything. They don't know anything of the real evidential history. Uh, scientists, the vast majority of scientists, it's been a taboo subject. So they know nothing. The vast majority of astronomers know nothing. Uh, the vast majority of universities know nothing about the evidential history. So we're preparing courses to allay uh, different sectors of society, to, to, to help prepare them including ones obviously for the for the for the public who are probably going to be some of the most uh, alarmed because some people i don't think anybody is going to be uh, frightened in the sense of an independence day scenario or a war of the world scenario or some wells 1938 where people are going to drive in the cars up to the hills and you know think we were being invaded uh, I think the world has changed a great deal. We live in a really uh, fast, connected world now through social media, etc. And I think a lot of people are, in essence, open to the idea that there is something. But there's a difference between I'm open to the idea and then suddenly being told that there is. Now, whether it's now or in six months or in a year's time, I think... All the comments that have come from these prominent people with increasing regularity over the last three to six months uh, means that how, how do you ever change that scenario? How can you suddenly, well, for example, let's go to the 25th, uh, the DNI. He's got two previous DNIs, James Clapper and John Ratcliffe, who were both saying, uh, actually, yeah, we should be more transparent. There's loads of these things. We can't explain them, blah, blah, blah. You suddenly can't put that genie back in the bottle. So you've got two presidents who never said anything when they, when they were in office who suddenly have now said things that uh, 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 are amazed, amazing, like the Obama quote. He must have been on hundreds of talk shows over the last 20 years 
and he has never ever spoken in specifics and then suddenly he says yeah we've got stuff uh, yeah we've got records we've got footage we can't explain what they are we don't really know what they are and uh, we can't explain how they move never ever done that and i immediately thought why why is he saying that now? And then I'm thinking, well, is he trying to tip off uh, President Biden, uh, who was his, obviously his, his vice president during his two terms of office? So was he giving him the keys to the kingdom and say, look, yeah, it's time to, to ease the story on this and let's be more transparent? I don't somehow think that, uh, that the DNI on the 25th is going to suddenly say, yeah, it's extraterrestrial or non-human. But I think that, and I'm hoping that the media will step up to the plate because they've, you can look at the media two ways. You can either say they've been a, a willing, culpable part of the cover-up for 70 years, or they've been a victim of the cover-up. Either way, uh, most of them don't have a clue, genuinely don't have a clue. All right. All right. So, so I think, I think this is where you're at now. And I'm hoping that the media step up and say, Oh, hang on a minute. You're saying it's not, you can't prove it's ET, but can you prove it's foreign technology? And the answer will be, well, no. Well, can you prove it's not ET? That's what I'm hoping that they're going to say. And they're not going to let this go. Because I, th I do think what's changed with the three Fleur videos from 2017 is when they came out, it was the first time the press could say to somebody, what is that? They could, that, especially the go fast where it's skimming above the water. What is that? Tell me what that is. And, 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 and then they had something tangible that they could hook onto. All and right, I've got to take another. This was a, a short segment, Gary. We'll, uh, we'll yep. come back and um, we'll get into the uh, YouTube chat questions, I promise. Back with more of my conversation with Gary Heseltine, VP of ICER. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Just a reminder, coming up in Hour 2, Don Schmidt, the North American representative for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Gary Heseltine, Vice President, stays with us. Uh, let's go to the YouTube live chat. And Andrew McAllister uh, asks, why go through the UN, Gary? I'm not sure what the point would be. They don't know much of anything. <laughs> well, obviously, you don't have a high opinion of the UN, but uh, I, I, I still think that uh, it's a, it's got its important part to play it may not seem like it in the day-to-day -day politics of, of many countries but the un i think is overall still uh, highly regarded on the whole so i think uh, that is the place where countries talk to each other it's a kind of a you know, we've just had uh, President Biden in the UK, still is, I think, uh, and we've had the G7, which is just seven countries. But obviously the UN, there's hundreds of countries, or I'm not quite sure how many, but many, well over 100 countries uh, are part of the UN. So that is the forum where you discuss things really on a global basis or where you should be discussing things on a global basis. So from, from going to your own government in your own particular country which our national representatives have written to, uh, emailed, etc., 
That's one approach. But obviously, in time, we want to get to the United Nations because that's where all countries are. Uh, and you can have this wider debate. And obviously, historically, you know, we with the Grenada uh, uh, from 1978, we had we we got it on the floor for a few hours, albeit it was quickly, you know, it was left on file and he was replaced in a coup mysteriously. But there you go. The point is, most people, I think, would still say that the UN has a part to play. What are you expecting on June 25th? from the Pentagon. Are your expectations low? I don't expect it to be disclosure with a big D, if that's what we're kind of talking about. I expect it to be another important step. Uh, And this is why I say that the press can play a part in keeping the pressure on, because I do expect the DNI to say, look, we've maybe had 100 nod incidents. Most of them we can't explain. Uh, We can't prove that it's extraterrestrial. But then, they, by the same token, they won't be able to prove that it's not extraterrestrial. And that's the press question that I want them to, to really dig into and say, you're not, you're not getting away with that play on words. You need to give us more. And they need to start releasing the data. Luis Elizondo has already said that the three grainy videos from 2017, he has seen much sharper images, many more very good videos taken by military personnel. Those should come out. I think that there should be pressure brought about by the likes of John Greenwald, by the press, etc., to get those kind of videos out. We need all the data from the ships, the Omaha, the Princeton, regarding the Nimitz incident, etc. There's loads of telemetry data there, radar data, that can be scientifically uh, researched now. And that's what we need to have, is open transparency and say, look, okay, What's happened has happened, but now let's be transparent and let's move forward together as the human race. Uh, D. Silver asks, uh, I'd like to ask Gary if UFOs are like orbs. At the beginning of COVID last year, I saw a half a dozen lights way up in the sky move quickly back and forth and close to each other. I, I think many uh, UFOs seen are orbs. Uh, but what do you mean by orbs? Orbs as in spheres or orbs as in small things that you see on cameras, camera effect kind of thing. I don't, I don't know if you're talking about the latter, but I do think that UFOs come in all shapes and sizes. For me, I think that they're probably living things as much as anything else because you see some uh, UFOs, uh, in very good cases, seem to transform their shape as if it's able to morph to whatever they want. So I think we're dealing with a technology. And what does Luis Elizondo say uh, that goes away from the foreign adversary angle? You're talking of a technology that's a 100 to a 1,000 years leap, not just the next generation, a 100 to a 1,000 years leap. How do you explain that? Well, then, you know, what about Ben Rich's off-cited quote from Skunk Works saying that we have things in the hangar out in the desert that are, 50 years beyond your wildest dream. If you've seen it on Star Wars or Star Trek, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort. Was that sort of disinfo? Was he trying to scare off our adversaries? I don't know. I wish I wish he was around to ask uh, and, and, and say, well, what did you really mean? Uh, because it's one of those great quotes that come out, and he certainly had the background to know or should know what was going on and what we had in secrets, as it were. Uh, but we can't prove that. And that's the bottom line is what can we prove? And you can't prove what he said. True enough. True enough.
Um, I want to ask you, we've just got a couple minutes here, but I want to ask you uh, about some of the members. First of all, how, do, how does one uh, get on board? I mean, are you looking for uh, more like scientists, academics to join up? How do they, how do they get, in, get involved? At this stage, I would say that of the 27 nations, most have been, if not all, have been by peer review recommendation. What I mean by that is, like Don approached me, and, and very kindly, he obviously thought I was a good researcher, so he approached me. I then knew other people and said, well, I think he'd be good, she'd be good. Uh, and we've kind of appointed each other and made those approaches. There's been a couple of times when we've approached people and they've said, no, I'm too busy writing books, blah, blah, blah. So they haven't become the national representatives. Uh, we are currently looking for other national representatives but what i want to say is it's not about quantity it's about quality now and now that we are public we have to be very careful who we take on lots of people are saying ah i'll do it i'll do it but no we we need to check out those people and make sure they have a body of research especially when you go into places like africa where we don't really know much about african ufo research i'd love to find serious researchers who can say yeah i've been do doing this for x number of years here's the reports that i've looked into and then that would be great uh, but they've got to be bona fide researchers not uh, armchair experts and there are many of those Tell us about uh, Professor Lachazar Filipov of Bulgaria, this astrophysicist. He, he, he's got an amazing CV. He, is, uh, he, is, he taught, he's from Bulgaria, and he's uh, at the uh, Academy of Sciences, and he trained Bulgaria's first astronauts. So that's the caliber of his work. Uh, I mean, he's, he's now probably in his late 60s, but for many, many years he has been holding UFO conferences or UFO-related conferences uh, at risk to his job on many occasions because he was going out on a limb when it was uh, stigmatized but he is a pioneer and and he is a space astrophysicist you know he's got a lot of talent and he's but he's one of the pioneers who in his own country has done more to uh, get the story out that the rate that, that other scientists need to look at this and so he is somebody we often quote and was in our original newswire press release because you know, that shows the caliber. When somebody's trained the country's first astronauts, I think you have to be pretty prestigious to do that. Uh, and he, he is an excellent scientist, and we're lucky to have him. Um, how about the um, the uh, retired Israeli general, uh, Haim Ashed, who, uh, who, you know, caused quite a stir not too long ago, talking about, you know, that, 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 that it's real, this galactic federation of alien species. Uh, I think you'll find, I think you'll find that his initial thoughts himself where he thought it was real is one thing but he then quotes quoted heavily about galactic federations when you actually looked into the story he hadn't experienced any of that and this is what other people had given him information i personally don't see any evidence for a galactic civilization i'm not saying it can't happen i just don't see enough evidence to say that it has happened all right, uh, Gary, so we've got about a minute here, and then we're going to take a break and bring uh, Don Schmidt on. What? Um, so what's the next step? I mean, are you sitting back waiting for June 25th, uh, or, or what's happening next with ICER? 
Well, from our point of view, we're constantly, we're, we're now we've launched. Obviously, there were lots of things to do to get ready for the launch. Now we're into the launch phase, phase one, which is establish ourselves, hopefully as a main player in this uh, subject, uh, and begin to create the awareness program. So now we have working groups working on, on, uh, on those programs now and finding out what programs, how do we tailor it, what would we cater for, what would go in it, what, how are we going to do it, are we going to do it via PowerPoint, is it going to be a one-day course, is it going to be a week-to-week course? And obviously once we get those tailored, then sooner or later down the line, we're hoping that public bodies like governments will say, actually, you're way ahead of us. Uh, we do need to prepare for this. Uh, it's this a crazy situation, but we don't know anything about it. We're going to turn to you for our evidential history. Can you teach us about it? And then we do it and cascade it down, trainers, teaching trainers kind of thing. Uh, it's a huge undertaking that we're trying to do, but we think that somebody has to do this, and we should be preparing for that what if now to try to bring, one, the fear down, and two, alleviate the psychological stress that it will cause some people. Not all. You're still going to go to work. You're still going to uh, get on buses, get on planes, and do your normal daily things. But some people will be vulnerable and traumatized like the pandemic did with lockdowns, etc. So if we can alleviate that, then I think it's well worth trying. All right. Well, thank you for uh, for introducing us to uh, ICER, Gary. ICER dot network icer.network and uh, i'm sure we'll talk again in the not too distant future and uh, we'll bring to bring don schmidt on uh, to talk more thank you so much gary thank you gary Hesseltine, vice president icer back with more in a moment with don schmidt north american representative stay with us live from toronto canada earth the conspiracy show with richard sarratt on zoomer radio Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. The International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. That's our focus for tonight's program. We just spent the previous hour with the Vice President, Gary Heseltine, uh, this hour, the North American representative, Roswell investigator, author, Donald R. Schmidt. Now, before we get to Don, a couple of quick programming notes. Next week, crop circle researcher, filmmaker, Patty Greer returns to the program. And uh, another quick uh, programming note, I'll be sitting in for George Norrie this coming Friday, June 18th on Coast to Coast AM and then hosting Coast Again the following night, Saturday, June the 19th. Now, every day I get emails and Facebook messages and Instagram messages. Many of you here in Ontario are having a hard time finding Coast since most, if not all, of Ontario's affiliates no longer carry the program. And uh, the best thing to do is to go to coasttocoastam.com and find the list of affiliates on the website it might be under the heading local stations, and there are about 600, 650 of them. So just pick one, pick one of those affiliates and see if you can find that station on either TuneIn or Simple Radio. Those are two great apps to listen to radio stations online. TuneIn, 
or Simple Radio. There are others, but those are the two I'm most familiar with. So then you download those uh, one of those apps, TuneIn or Simple Radio, and then find one of those Coast affiliates on one of those apps. And then you can stream that station on your mobile phone or your, your tablet. So, for example, the Mighty Aphrodite listens in to Coast on a station out of Bowling Green, Kentucky, WKCT 930 AM. So it's kind of funny. I'm sitting in my studio here down in the basement in Thornhill talking into a microphone, uh, and, and my voice goes down the line to, uh, to the studio in, in Sherman Oaks, California, Los Angeles, and then via satellite to 650 affiliates, including the Bowling Green station, where she's listening in on her phone, not 50 feet from where I'm sitting while she's lying in bed. Uh, so there you go. Anyway, uh, there's also Buffalo, WBEN, 930 AM, and you might be able to pull that station in on your radio receiver at night, 930 AM, WBEN. So uh, those are some options until, you know, maybe at one point or hopefully soon, a Toronto area station will pick up coast because I know there is a huge demand for it. So uh, if you want to hear me more, more of me running my mouth, uh, you can listen to me weekday afternoons, 4 to 6 p.m. on Saga 960 a.m. And you should be able to listen on your regular radio receiver throughout much of the GTA. Certainly. If you're out in the West End, Etobicoke, Mississauga, Brampton, even further west than that, my brother-in-law, for example, picks up the program, 9.60 a.m., that is, uh, as far west as, as Kitchener, Ontario. Or you can stream it on uh, saga960am.ca, saga, S-A-U-G-A, 960am.ca. The Richard Serrett Show, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 p.m., News, views, analysis, opinion, interviews, Saga 960 AM. All right. Let's back in, uh, dive back into UFO disclosure, shall we? Donald R. Schmidt is the North American representative for ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. He's the former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, Don was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and the art director for the International UFO Reporter. He's also the author of hundreds of articles about UFOs, as well as the co-author of a number of best-selling books, uh, UFO Crash at Roswell, The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, Witness to Roswell, uh, The Children of Roswell, um, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson, also uh, Roswell, The Chronological Pictorial. Always a pleasure to welcome Don Schmidt to the program. Hey, Don, how are you? Good evening, Richard. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So, North American representative. That's uh, that's that's quite a territory. <laughs> you are the representative for the entire continent of North America. So, uh, how did this happen? Just uh, you and uh, Gary Hesseltine talking, and you offered your services, or he recruited you? No, actually... And lest anybody listening tonight thinks that this has anything to do since the New York Times, you know, article in December of 2017 or anything regarding, you know, the Senator Marco Rubio Intelligence Subcommittee report or the Navy Task Force uh, report that we're waiting on. This was even a couple years before. 
when here in the, in the States, we were approached by a number of Chinese investigators with the plan to, first of all, create a, an exhibit for the first time that we would actually have a UFO exhibit in China. And we were looking at uh, a number of major cities, and we finally agreed to uh, Chongqing, city of over 30 million people. You're talking Mexico City. And my first trip to China, we started to talk about putting together some type of global, you know, representation that we would have, you know, uh, representatives from as many countries as possible. And the second trip, we actually started talking about UN, UNESCO, representation. In other words, we'd have to have 30 countries. And they were relying on me to, you know, put together as many representatives as possible. Well, my final trip, my third trip to China, they actually invited in a group of Russian representatives, including two of the cosmonauts. And we met privately, and we spent the better part of an evening where we actually hashed out how we could put together some form of coalition. Well, the next thing we knew, we were being invited to Moscow. And that's where I was asked, how many representatives could you bring in from, you know, as from five continents, and it became billed as, you know, this five-continent summit. And one of the people I invited in was Gary, Gary from England. I felt that, uh, you know, that he would be a wonderful representative as far as the U.K. And I had Dr. Roberta Planelli and other, uh, as far as colleagues who uh, were, were part of this, A.G. Gerviard, as far as from Brazil, and uh, the Chinese reps were there. And we sat down, and over the course of two days, we put together, as far as uh, the foundation, of the actual creation of this coalition. Well, the Chinese wanted to have it headquartered, obviously, in China. Well, we were concerned about all the government involvement, the fact that, you know, we would have to, you know, work directly with the Chinese government and then be under their auspices, that they essentially would dictate, you know, the, uh, the very working order and uh, as far as the representation, and uh, we would be under the umbrella of essentially a communist country, so to speak. So as we, put, we, we withdrew from China, that's when... We waited another half a year, and that's when, minus the Chinese, at least at that time, because they fell away from us. Not, it wasn't uh, the other way around. And as we found ourselves just still sitting on all these countries that were willing to become part of this group, that we decided, and Gary was one of the principal people involved, and Dr. Panotti, we decided let's proceed, let's move forward. And the wonderful thing about today's technology with Zoom, we have been able to stay in regular contact, and it has grown in the last three years to the point that, as Gary described, 
we finally we went public. We announced as far as our official status, our official as far as 27 country representation, and the fact that we are now beyond investigation. We have all sworn and then signed an oath that after 75 years of investigation, we accept that we are dealing with an intelligence most likely off the planet, and that now it comes down to how do we inform the public, how do we educate the public, and how do we start to take back the narrative away from the governments who have been deceiving us about this reality over these last seven decades. So this um, uh, attempt, you know, to to be able to address the United Nations, UNESCO and so forth, right. uh, you're going to need kind of a sponsor country to take up those questions on your behalf because only, exactly. you know, so which country out there in your estimation is the best candidate? Is it a country like France, for example? The, the, I mean, their aerospace people have been very, very open and transparent about their their interests in in this subject, in their investigations into this uh, I mean absolutely is it is it a country like France uh, but but the irony Richard is the fact that we cannot even for the moment we can't even get a representative from France that's that interesting it's not that it's it's not that they don't want to be part of the coalition it's the internal fighting as to well who should be and so we don't have time for that we're proceeding either with or without any countries which we have invited. Uh, and, and believe me, we, we continue to, uh, as far as vet additional rep- representatives, we're close to securing a rep from France, but again, for the moment, we don't. So we're looking at countries such as, such as Liechtenstein, such as Portugal, such as even San Marino. And... Uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a long, arborous uh, project as far as just, uh, just going through that entire process. But that was, again, one of the reasons, one of the very purposes, one of the objectives of even creating the coalition, that we would then solicit as far as actual representation at the U.N. Do you have, do you have people that are, do you have access, let's say, to people who have access to uh, to these black ops programs? Uh, are you getting, do you have whistleblowers? No, well, we, and we expect to have whistleblowers. It's just that we haven't, as of yet, you know, actually approached some of the, the past people who have, Gone on the record, some of the people who have, you know, even testified in Washington. When, we, when I was part of the citizens' hearing in Washington, there were numerous whistleblowers that now we would like to revisit, and with the hope that they would lead to others. One of my personal concerns is, as far as that, with the present anticipation of either the Congressional report or the Intelligence Subcommittee report or even the Navy Task Force report to Congress, that 
there have yet to be spelled out any provisions for whistleblowers, for potential candidates who would be uh, in need of immunity, that they could testify. Um, to me, it will fall short if they present or provide anything short of hearings where people will then be afforded an opportunity to testify on the record as to their own personal experiences. And I'm talking strictly military. And short of that, I agree, that's where ICER will step in and fill that void. In other words, given that it's a coalition of other countries, it's going to be, if you remember Richard, with, with Heineck, he always had what was called his invisible college. And so he actually was the initiator of the idea that just, just imagine what clout, what uh, unity as far as in creating a coalition of, of multiple countries that could step in and put pressure from outside respective governments, respective uh, as far as uh, uh, military establishments. And that's what ICER potentially you know, represents. The idea that it's no longer just ufologists within America. It's 27 countries that are now unified and stepping forward and saying, now, wait a minute, you're not being transparent about this. You're not being honest about this. And let us cite you know, chapter and verse as to why we don't believe you, why you have demonstrated over the last 75 years that you cannot be trusted on this matter. And so, in many ways, I look back and I think that Dr. Harnick would look, be looking down at me right now and going, you know, Don, you know, I'm very proud of you. Or Don, you know, uh, Alan would be very proud of what we're attempting to do here. Because in many ways, it was what he originally attempted to do. So, you need to get to the 30-country threshold, and that's when you're, you're hoping that the you'll have access basically to the United Nations if you can find kind of a sponsor country to, to, to take your questions. That's What's going to be the, what would be the first and question that would be asked uh, under such this, under such an eventuality? What would be the first question? Do you have one ready to go? Well, yes, yes. And in fact, that's one of the things that I have been pushing as far as what ICER, that uh, it's not only just a, an existence of the group, of the eventual 30 countries that have united as much as that we become proactive, that we, you know, do things collectively as 30 countries have come together and then really push for disclosure with a capital D. Um, we've made such a big to-do, and rightfully so, of the gun camera footage, the Tic Tac, you know, incident off the Pacific Ocean. And that's just one gun camera example. Most, and I'm surprised even my own colleagues within ufology, they don't even mention or describe the fact that when Project Blue Book was declassified in 1977, how many people in our field, Richard, had even taken the time to go through those files and realize that there are no less than 21 gun camera cases even listed, described in detail. And no one ever questions, well, okay, if 
the project, if the files have been declassified, not even a single frame of footage. Where is all that film? You've declassified the project. Uh, what about the gun camera film? So we would like to spearhead an effort. Okay, that's, uh, you know, we're talking contemporary. Now we're talking about over the last 60 years, 65 years. We want to go after those, those gun camera films. That would just be, a, you know, an opening salvo on our part. Another example would be that post-World War II, when Germany essentially uh, did not have a government, and it was in many respects run here by the U.S., and we, we, we discovered that there's a major void that for about 25 years, all the UFO sightings that took place in Germany are not part of any German investigation, not part of their military, which was, you know, non-existent as far as uh, the country was concerned. Where did they all go? Well, they most likely came here to America. And so we'd be starting major FOIA as far as representing the Germans as to where all their cases were, were being compiled, being investigated. And uh, no surprise that they were being investigated by American suits post-World War II. So Don Schmidt, just- uh, Don, let me just um, uh, reset here. We're going to head into a break here in a minute. Yeah. Don yeah. Schmidt, U.S. representative of the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. The website is ICER, that's I-C-E-R dot network, I-C-E-R, ICER dot network. Um, we'll, uh, we'll open up the phone lines here in a moment and also take uh, more questions from our YouTube live chat. Um, in fact, Victor, here's Victor Vigiani with one. Victor, welcome. Uh, how important is the international aspect of the ICER initiative? Well, quickly, it demonstrates, and, and, and certainly a shortcoming here in the States, that we long talked about if we could present a united front, what, you know, uh, authority, not only for having a vast knowledge of the history, but that we could become a major as far as resource for the media, the mainstream media. And as we've been observing, they know nothing on this subject. It's just really, it's really appalling that when you talk about, and I think you would agree with me, Richard, we're talking about potentially the biggest story of the millennium. And that yes. uh, they have uh, not been our guardians at the gate, so to speak. That whatever the government, whatever the military has proclaimed as to solutions and resolutions and, and projects and committees that have met regarding the UFO you know, uh, mystery, they have always fallen short. Uh, a, 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 a great uh, recent example would be Maria Bartonola, uh, if I have that name correct, on Fox. Yes. And she was talking to uh, John Radcliffe, the former director of national intelligence here in the States. And when he, he brought up the fact that, oh, you know, this phenomenon is worldwide. It's global. I mean, there's, you know, there's similar experiences all around the world. And she went, you're kidding I thought this was strictly an American phenomenon. Well, how, oh, dear how Lord. absolutely naive can you be? Yeah, but that's emba- that's an embarrassment. That's an, embarrassment, an embarrassment, but it's, it's, it's so common. Don, I've got to take a quick time out. We'll yeah. come back and discuss further. Don Schmidt, the U.S. Rep- uh, the North American representative for the Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. 
Loose lips sink ships. And sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Don Schmidt is with us, North American representative of ICER. Uh, Don, we've talked about this many times in the program uh, and, and Victor uh, as well. And and one of the things that would really help kick in the door in terms of disclosure would be to have a, a White House um, press gallery member or someone who's covering the Pentagon beat to stand up and ask that sort of that Lollapalooza question. But it seems to me that, and then we've, we've really, I think, learned this lesson uh, during COVID is we can't, al- we can't rely on the mainstream media no. to do anything but no. uh, but provide cover for people in authority. Uh, and so, how, you know, how are we then going to to get that question asked? At least in the United States. I mean, it's it, it, it's probably different in other countries, but but in the United States, how are you going to get a reporter to ask that question in the White House press press gallery or the Pentagon or I don't know the State Department or wherever? And we do have at least a number of individuals within the media that are presently stepping forward. They're trying to play catch-up. Unfortunately, they're drawn to some of the, the less qualified, the new kids on the block, so to speak, who really have no knowledge, no concept of the history. They're treating the subject, they're talking as though this is a contemporary, you know, situation that has only, you know, been happening over the last 20 years. Um, I don't know if Gary got into it, but when we had a, uh, a private meeting, with, uh, as far as ICER, with Luis Elizondo, and um, I brought up Roswell, and we've attempted that before, and he doesn't want to go there. And I'm finally, I'm concluding it's because he doesn't know anything about it. Probably only what he's read. I, I, I doubt that he's searched out any files, any information on it, or talked to anybody inside regarding uh, the, uh, you know, this, this granddaddy of all UFO cases. But I find that to be the case not only with, uh, you know, people who were or are still connected. I mean, Elizondo, I'm sure he, ha- he still, and he's told me, he still has a, you know, he's still under security oath. They're still keeping him on a, on a short leash. But then we're also dealing, as far as with government officials, and we've met with and enlisted and tried to get them to work with constituents, work with witnesses, people who, again, would you know potentially be whistleblowers. And so they need to educate themselves on the subject. And I, I, I sadly find, you know, 99.9% of Washington knows nothing about this subject. And to me, that's also dangerous, because you're talking, if, if today it's considered a potential threat, and I find, you know, the overuse of that word by, again, the media, 
They cannot talk about UFOs without talking about the threat that all of a sudden today, in 2021, it's first a threat to national security. Well, what about back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Well, it, it wasn't a threat back then. I mean, we talk about all the infiltrations with the nuclear, the SAC facility, Strategic Air Command, you know, the shutdown, all the Minuteman silos and Malmstrom and Minot and, and other such incidents involving as far as nuclear missile silos. That goes back to the 60s. And here's the media once again just totally demonstrating that they never cared about this subject in the past, so why should we trust them today? To them, it's just another story. It's more entertainment. And they want to act as though they have hands-on, that they're right there in the foreground, and they're the people to go to regarding getting this, you know, the truth about the subject. Well, we both know Richard. They're the last ones. And I think that's one of the reasons that ICER would attempt not only to step to the forefront, not only you know, in representing respective countries, but the fact that for the first time we're going to demonstrate that this indeed is a global phenomenon and that some of the best cases of all are in other countries. That uh, they, uh, they, they, they demonstrate time and time again that we're dealing with an intelligence off the planet. And if, they, if the government of the United States wants to suggest for a second that we're dealing with either Russian or Chinese technology, well, I'm sorry, it wasn't Russian or Chinese technology back in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s. So then what were we dealing with back then? Right, right. Um, I was asking Gary this. Uh, I'll ask you the same question. Because Gary was saying, okay, it's not, it's, the, the United States basically said, it's not us. And so Gary was saying that means it's a two-horse race. It's either extraterrestrials or it's foreign adversaries. And both you and Gary said it, it can't be foreign adversaries for that reason you just stated. But isn't there another option? And that option is that we're talking about, as Richard Dolan has talked about, a breakaway civilization. Uh, it has no allegiance to any country. It exists above the, the nation state. And so, you know, there, there may be individuals in the United States uh, that have access to this technology. There may be individuals, in, you know, a Russian oligarch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what about that as an option, that, that, it, that these crafts are from our planet? The occupants are human. But again, this is a breakaway civilization. But even the breakaway civilization would have had a beginning. It would have had, as far as technology, dropped into their possession that they were then able to reverse engineer to, um, you know, develop into fleets of, uh, uh, as far as these sophisticated, high-tech, 100-year advanced uh, technology that have been traversing, you know, all around the world within sovereign airspace, that have, you know, violated as far as sovereign aerospace time and time again at the risk of war, at the risk of retaliation, at the risk of being shot down and falling into enemy hands. Um, 
again, and we'd be talking about back to the 40s. I mean, that may sound all right today, but what, again, were we dealing with when the United States Air Force, the government of the United States, established the first project, Project Sign, within months after Roswell, then Project Grudge, then Blue Book, and then all these ancillary projects that were also trying to determine what we were dealing with. I accept that when then, you know, President Dwight Eisenhower, you know, warned us about the military-industrial complex, that being potentially the breakaway, you know, as far as advancement that may have... um, been able to find the on button all the way, you know, back to 1947 with Roswell. But then I would ask your audience to consider if they were able to reverse engineer the technology, if they were able to break away. And that's one of the reasons today, Richard, when I'm asked, where do you believe the technology is today? If they had a recovered, crashed UFO, let's say Roswell, back to 1947. Where do you believe the technology, where do you believe the hardware is today? And I will flatly state, it is not with the United States government. It is not with the United States military. And that may be the, 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 the dilemma that they face today, in that they no longer have it in their possession. That as the United States government slash military does not manufacture anything as to tanks, planes, ships, it's all contracted out. It's all assimilated into the private sector, just as we know they did with such technology starting back in 1947. It's one of the reasons that we have had first-hand witnesses regarding Roswell at Los Alamos, at Battelle Institute, at Rand Corporation, at Boeing, at Lockheed, at General Electric, at Hughes Aircraft. So, in other words, these are all government-contracted private corporations who build all of the military hardware that we're so impressed with when we see an F-35 Raptor and we think, my God, isn't that fantastic that we have hovercraft that can take off and ascend as far as like a rocket from point A to point B in a matter of seconds, but it's all privately contracted. And so that's another thing that we keep pointing fingers at Washington when it is and it happens to be the private corporations that indeed may have broken away. They may have created as far as fantastic technology beyond anything that we presently are aware of, but it was because it was given to them. It was provided to them with the instructions, with the orders to find the on button. They didn't just stumble upon this. Something happened. And I, for one, I'm convinced that it was because of Roswell that we had right, I've got to take a laps, Don I got to take we a were able Sorry to, Don I got to take a time out here we're yep. uh, I'm I'm late here for a break we'll come back and uh, discuss further take questions from the YouTube live chat as well Don Schmidt the North American representative for ICER International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research back with more stay with us
PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, let's go right to the YouTube live chat. And uh, Solar Warden asks, uh, Don, will other countries follow in this upcoming disclosure and reveal anything? Has he heard f- from, uh, ha- have you heard much from other countries? No, and that also is rather strange for the moment. Just as strange as we're not hearing from the Air Force or other branches of the military that we're ra- waiting as far as on the Navy task force to provide, you know, their report to Congress. So I think there's a wait-and-see attitude across the board. And let's just say that we, if we get anything suggesting that, yes, there is indeed an intelligence that is beyond, you know, our own state of technology, and we're, we're working on it. I think it's just a classic example of, yeah, something's there, we're working on it, and we both know, Richard, that um, whether it was the Twining letter in September of 1947, where General Twining conceded, yes, the phenomenon is real, and it's not visionary or fictitious, you know, flying saucers are real. And then the, uh, the, the report of Project Sign, where they concluded that it was interplanetary, but General Hoyt uh, Vandenberg ordered the report burned, uh, that type of thing. So we've come full circle. So maybe, again, it'll be an acknowledgement that there is a phenomenon. It's beyond our, you know, state of technology, but we're working on it. And for no other reason than to increase their budget, to get, you know, to get an allowance from Congress, well, we need to get to the bottom of this, especially if it's a threat to national security. And then maybe some other countries will trickle in. We at least hope that there will be statements, and that's one thing that ICER will also be pushing for, that no matter what the U.S. government finally proclaims, that we will be soliciting position statements from the other countries. All right. Uh, Show Me the Truth 74 asks, Donald, what are your thoughts on the theory that aliens are really us visiting from the future? That's always a great question, because even regarding Roswell, the very thought that, well, they're all, they're, the occupants are always described as humanoid, that they don't look much different than we do, or maybe an advanced evolutionary as far as human species, that type of thing. We know time is relevant. We know that when we look at a starlit sky, that many of those stars, as we see them tonight, no longer exist. So uh, it's not beyond the pale, not beyond, you know, the very concept that the one thing that forced as far as the initial cover-up was their consideration that maybe we're dealing with something not so much nuts and bolts that we're dealing with something from the future. I'm very open to it, and it but it doesn't make it any less extraordinary. Because just imagine that they'd have to consider that possibility that we're dealing with us from the future. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, Don, you're a devout Catholic. I'm a yes. Greek Orthodox. We both, you know, we put everything through the Bible. That's our, the faith filters, I, I like to call it. 
um, and you and I have talked about this before, I know you're open, you know, to the possibility that, that what we are experiencing here, and it, this is what makes the most sense to me, uh, are not necessarily off planet, but interdimensionals. In other yeah. words, from the angelic realm. Uh, that's not always a popular view in ufology. The idea that we are dealing with angels, fallen angels, but it does fit the biblical narrative. Otherwise, it's outside of the biblical narrative. It's almost like they're interlopers. I mean, talk to me about how you sort of, I don't know, process that, or and you and your colleagues, do you have these kind of, inside ICER, do you have these kind of conversations, or are, are you oh, yes. maybe um, an outlander in that regard? Well, let's also keep in mind that, that we had that uh, huge wave. It was the beginning of the modern age of UFOs that summer of 1947, and especially through the states, originating in the Northwest Pacific and then sweeping down through New Mexico. In fact, I, I find it, you know, just so amusing that whenever I'm lecturing on college campuses and I ask, where was the first atomic bomb detonated? And amazed at how many learned academics, you know, well, of course, Japan. Well, how about right in New Mexico? How about right in, you know, the United States, that type of thing. So even Project Blue Book determined that there were more UFO sightings in New Mexico than anywhere else in the world at that time. So it was as though there was a a, a true curiosity as to our military potential back in that summer of 47. And that first flash at Trinity, that first atomic bomb detonation, is still traversing out to the galaxy like an intelligent beacon, as though it's alerting someone from off the planet that, you know, check out these new kids on the block. They're now playing with atomic, you know, you know weaponry. But the summer of 47, the Vatican put out a statement which read, it was the position of the Church that the universe is most likely dealing with other creations. So in other words, they accepted that we were dealing with other creations beyond the planet. And that was reiterated as far as with Pope Benedict, and then Benedict even reinforced that with other statements regarding potential life. For example, when he was asked, when the Vatican was asked, well, if there should be an arrival, of aliens from off the planet, what would the Church's first response be? And Pope Benedict said, well, we would baptize them, or we would offer to baptize them, so that type of thing. Don, so, I've got to jump in here. Pardon my yep. intrusion. We've This was a short segment. We'll come back and uh, pick right. up on this thread. Don Schmidt, North American representative for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. ICER.network, that's the website for this newly formed coalition. May 25th, uh, it was officially launched, the International Coalition uh, of Extraterrestrial Research, ICER.network. Network, Don Schmidt, the North American representative. So just let's just finish up on that point you were talking about. You know, uh, the Pope said that Pope Benedict said that he would baptize uh, aliens, basically acknowledging that it isn't that uh, a belief in extraterrestrials off planet civilizations is not outside the biblical narrative. 
No, and I would also point out when I, I posed the question, who operates more observatories around the world than any other organization? It's the Catholic Church. In fact, Father Robert Spitzer, who's with the, uh, the Magis Guild in Los Angeles, he's the lead Jesuit scientist, and he answers directly to Pope Francis. And I had a wonderful discussion with him, not only about Roswell, but UFOs in general. And again, reiterating the fact that as far as the Catholic Church, as far as his acceptance that they have no problem whatsoever in uh, dealing as far as with the very concept that there are other creations, that there's life on other planets. But still, we're talking about, well, how do you get from point A to point B? And Dr. Heineck, as an astronomer, he used to constantly wrestle with, you know, the nuts and bolts. And he would use the analogy, Richard, I think I've even run this by you in the past, that if you take just a single playing card from a deck of cards, not the width, but the thickness, the thickness of that single playing card representing the distance from the Earth to the moon, and then posing the question, how many playing cards would it take to represent the distance from the Earth to our nearest star system, Alpha Centauri, you know, 4.3 light years away? How many playing cards? And nobody would ever, you know, how would you possibly come up with an accurate or even a close guess as to, you know, the correct answer? Well, the correct answer is 19 miles of playing cards. Well, that's beyond human comprehension. And so Heineck would then suggest if, we were, if, we, if we'd have one good sighting a year around the world, that would be much more conducive to something off the planet, something traveling such vast distances. But we're dealing with phenomena that seems to pop in and out at will. It's as though it's here. It's right around us. It's, you know, it's able to slip in and out of our dimension, uh, you know, as, as it would, you know, desire. So, so there, too, it's, it's much, much more suggestive of something interdimensional, something that is here, something that has set up shop, they are here and able to interact with us whenever they choose. So um, I guess, uh, to me, that also smacks of the level of cover-up, the level of ignorance. And as you've heard me say in the past, Richard, I still remain convinced it's a cover-up of ignorance, that to this day they still don't have any answers. They still don't know from where, from who, and from why so what do they disclose? What do they acknowledge? What do they, you know, tell, tell the world when they themselves are just as much in the dark today as they were back in 1947? All right. Uh, back to the YouTube live chat. And Sigma6 asks, why is the military opening up now about the UFOs? What's their angle? I don't Very trust them. Very good question. Why today? Why today? What's different about today than it's been over the last 75 years? And I'm especially uh, curious as to if this potentially may have something to do with Space Force. Now, we saw this during the Reagan administration when he played that hand with SDI, Strategic 
uh, defense initiative, Star Wars, where we didn't even have it in operation, and yet he put that on the table with Gorbachev in Russia, and it's basically caused or the beginning of the implosion of the Soviet Union. So I can just imagine that just uh, if, if this would be something in relationship to Space Force, that we are developing such techni- uh, technology, and the shock wave it would send through Russia and China. And as we, know, as we know here in the States, each branch of the military is in competition with one another. I can assure all your listeners, Richard, that they are not working together, that the Air Force does not cooperate with the Navy and vice versa. Prime example of that was during Desert Storm, when Storman Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, chief of staff of the Army, was complaining that we didn't, they didn't know if they should march into downtown Baghdad because the Air Force had declared air supremacy and the Navy was still launching Tomahawk missiles into downtown Baghdad. So again, one hand not knowing what the other hand was doing. So we also need to be wary and be prepared that it may be just a way to up the budgets, up the ante, that there's something there, we don't know what they are, but if we get more money, we can look into it, we can work on it, and we maybe we'll get back to you next year with some, some uh, advancement, some answers. So, again, whatever the United States government, whatever the Navy, whatever the Air Force, you know, dictates as being any solution to this ongoing mystery, I'm not going to believe it for a second, because they haven't been truthful in 75 years. Why today? Great question. Why today? Uh, Matthew Brown, if America has a vested interest in keeping UFOs quiet, why hasn't why hasn't Russia or China outed the situation for political gain? And that's another good question. And the other point being that if they want to suggest for a second that we're dealing with either Russian or Chinese technology, you want to talk about a major breakdown in U.S. intelligence. The fact that this has been happening under our noses all these years, and we haven't known about it. So it's a major conundrum, major, you know, uh, as far as breakdown of intelligence on the part of the United States military. And they're not going to concede that either. So another reason that we should be very leery, very wary of whatever the United States government announces, if they announce any form of disclosure regarding this subject, it still comes back to, why today? Who does it benefit? Whose agenda does it serve? And what is the next phase? Because this will be either a slow trickle, very incremental, or it's going to be, again, major deception, and that's why Look the other way. Whatever they tell us, look in the opposite direction. All right. We're going to try and squeeze in Mitchell here from Burlington very quickly on the phone line. Mitchell, I just got a minute here, so just get your question right out as quickly as you can, please. All right. Uh, my question is, um, so if there's, a, if there's UFOs and uh, there's aliens coming to Earth, wouldn't we have to worry about them taking over, like, you know, trying to do like, some kind of colonization thing? 
Exactly. Another good question. If they are a threat today, why haven't they been a threat over the last 75 years? Where has the threat been? The threat, yeah, national security, they invade, you know, they fly through sovereign airspace with total impunity. Okay, fine. But why weren't they a threat back in the 40s? Why is it only a threat today? Uh, be, be, again, be very concerned that there's a political agenda at stake here. That's another reason that we're going to be watching, and especially from as far as all these other countries, because we need them also to chime in, because it's not just a U.S. problem, a U.S. situation. It's a global, worldwide, and that's why we all have to be watching. All right, Don, very quickly, June 25th, uh, your expectations, what's, what's going to come out? Uh, are we going to get a congressional hearing? Are we going to get any, or is it just going to be continued drip, drip, drip? That's what it needs to be. As I mentioned at the beginning, there has to be at least, a, uh, as far as an offer, that there would be hearings, that they would provide immunity for whistleblowers, that they would provide as far as an opportunity that people could testify. Anything short of that, it's going to be the same old, same old. It's not even going to be disclosure with a small D. It's going to be there's something there. We're working on it, and we'll get back to you. So, again, stall and delay, stall and delay, because that's all they can do, because they don't have any answers either. All right. Uh, congratulations on this uh, brand new organization, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, ICER dot network icer dot network um, we'll we'll look forward to uh, to more developments from your organization don thank you so much for being here thank you richard we'll talk soon and continued success to you as well thank you so much for being there for all of us all right uh, back next week with a brand new program patty greer crop circles and uh, there'll be some other goodies in there rest assured in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.